Hey, buongiorno. This is the uh, Quote the Raven. I don't even know the name of my own podcast. This is the Quote the Raven podcast. Hello. How the hell is everybody? Today is January 28th, 2021. And as usual, all hell is breaking loose. I can't wait to talk about everything, anything, nothing, and something all at once. All right. This podcast, like all of my podcasts, is brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are people that sign up and donate a monthly recurring sum to help support the podcast. I am going to shout out those kind people who I hope you support because they support me. Then we're going to get on with the interview. First and foremost, I want to shout out my brother George Gammon over at Rebel Capitalist Pro. If you are interested in some of the macro topics we talk about on this podcast, specifically probably some of the ones we'll be talking about today also... You want to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. It's a wonderful forum. George Gammon, uh, Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, they do live Q&As all week. They really understand the Austrian mindset. They get it. If you're a gold bug, if you're an Austrian school guy, if you're just trying to further your education on economics, and you want more kind of deeper financial content with less uh, you know, dirty jokes than you'll get on my podcast George Gammon's Rebel Capitalist Pro is an awesome forum. It is well worth the money. I am a member myself. The link to that program and to George Gammon, who is a frequent guest. I'm sure you know George Gammon if you listen to the podcast. Uh, Link to that is in my podcast description. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at JM Bullion. It is the only place that I buy my gold and silver bullion. That is it, hands down. I don't buy gold and silver bullion from anybody else. I only buy from JM Bullion. They've been in business for over 10 years. They have done over $3 billion in sales. They are reputable. They always have great inventory. They turn around my orders and ship them the same day. And you know what? A lot of my podcast listeners come back to me and say that they have very good experiences also with JM Bullion. So I haven't heard anything otherwise QTR podcast listeners have their own person at JM Bullion they can contact if you don't feel like going through the website. Just email my friend Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y at jmbullion.com. Tell her that QTR sent you. You'll get free shipping for orders over $300. And Kathy will help you pretty much with anything that you need. This podcast also brought to you by my friends over at the Sang Lucci Steam Room, Sang Lucci and Wall Street Jesus. Of course, these are two household names in the equities and options trading universe. Uh, they've come together. They have just created their new Steam Room platform which is basically the single best trading environment for day and swing traders on the web. Uh, I have used it. I love these guys. I've known them for a decade. You can track uh, you know, options flow through their proprietary scanner. You can get live audio video analysis from Wall Street Jesus and discuss trades with the rest of their community all at the Sang Lucci Steam Room. That is available. Link is in my podcast description. If you're an options trader, Ooh, baby, you got to know a little bit about the Steam Room. This podcast also brought to you by my friends at the Trader's Path, a wonderful day trading community offering daily watch lists and investor education run by my friend Pete Hedgetus. Links to all of those are in my podcast description. This podcast is also brought to you by my friends over at Corvus Gold, my friends over at Traders for a Cause and Investors Underground, Ken R., Chris B., Nicholas Parks, Matthew Zimmer, Jay Mintzmeyer, my homeboy, Russ Valenti. What's up, homeboy? Man, we haven't seen each other in person in a long time, Russ. I hope we all get to hang out again soon. Maybe we'll do Traders for a Cause again in Vegas this year. Uh, I also want to shout out some of my newest patrons, people that have signed up through my Patreon. 
Some of them aren't even podcast listeners. They just uh, follow me on Twitter. I want to thank you guys so much. EVR Love is in the house. Andrew Peterson's in the house. Sam Burrell, uh, Matt Kearns, Evans and Rob Merritt. Phil Bach, what's up, man? The ETF King. John Guthrie, Chad Widmer, Joey Fody, Greg Brophy. Camila Saul, thank you, my friend. Very nice. I appreciate the patron very much. Ted Renner, my homeboy up in Canada. Uh, Salvatore and Joseph Gallagher, thank you so much. And some patrons that have been with me for a while. I want to shout you guys out, too. I didn't forget about Stephen Clark and Flo Algo. My friend J.D. Tito, what is going on? Bertha Moreno, still in the house. Finally, how about as soon as the damn thing loads? Here it is. Natalie, what's going on? Thank you, Natalie. Been a patron since uh, 2019. I think I follow you on Twitter, actually. Uh, Warren Marsh something or other, what's going on? Appreciate you. Still in the house. Jonah Johnson, what's up? Lewis J. Desi. This podcast is not investing advice. What do you think about that? I hold no licenses, no registrations, no series whatevers. I have no experience. I have no brain. I have... Really not much going on in terms of the intellect department. So don't listen to anything that I say. I am not making recommendations. We are here just to have some fun, friendly, open discourse about the complete disaster that is the capital market system. And I think I did good. Did the whole intro in five minutes and I didn't curse because I like to keep my mouth clean when I have the prestigious Dr. Ron Paul on the program and he is on with me today. So let's get started. All right, with me today, I am honored to have Dr. Ron Paul on the phone, the former congressman, the godfather of the Libertarian Party, really. I saw him referred to online yesterday. Uh, Definitely a patriot, one of my favorite all-around Americans. Dr. Paul, how are you today? Thank you for joining me. Good, Chris. Nice to be with you. Dr. Paul, I want to start off by asking you whether or not you've been watching some of the chaos that's been taking place in the capital markets over the last couple of days specifically and and, and really over the last couple of weeks as well. I try to watch all of it. Sometimes it's moving so quickly I don't get a full explanation worked out of what's going on. But I usually just dismiss a lot because it's the kind of thing one should expect if they understand what's going on in the world currencies and what's been going on for 50 years or so since the dollar became totally fiat. And uh, there's so so much distortion and manipulation and malinvestment and debt. And this morning was especially bad. Uh, people were trying to figure out exactly what's going on. And then the worse it gets, the more people cling to the power and manipulation. But just the market, if there wasn't the outright manipulation and you just had results from, uh, you know, fiat, which means that you don't have an interest rate to guide you. And, and uh, if you have a system where deficits don't matter, uh, you're going to have a lot of mistakes out there. So a lot of a lot of people are just wondering when those mistakes will be paid for, and and I believe they will be paid for. And I think when there's disruption and a, a sharp drop off or something, you can you can you can accept it rather easily because uh, there's been so much distortion and so much malinvestment and so much debt that the markets are very very powerful. Uh, even with all the manipulations and all the central banks doing everything they can. Uh, when the, when push comes to shove, uh, and I keep thinking about August 15th in 1971, 
you know, for uh, from 1934, uh, 33 to, to 75, uh, you know, we weren't even allowed to own gold, but uh, during, during that time, the price of gold was fixed, but the market said you can't do it. So I, I think markets are powerful trying to figure it out and try to figure out when the government or the central banks will throw in the towel. Uh, that's a that's a, a bigger job. But I think that the, the process is destined to, uh, you know, come come apart because you can't do this. And a lot of people, like myself at times, say, boy, it's amazing that this, this thing lasts. There's no, no good, uh, uh, you, you know, reason for it to work very well. Uh, and for some people, it's not working very well. And we do know about how much uh, wealth maldistribution there is. And it is true that some people uh, do well in an economy like this, at least temporarily so. And some people lose their shirt and some people lose their jobs. So it's, it's going to be a mess. But if, if people think it's a mess right now, I think they have to prepare themselves because I, I think this is just the warning signs of how bad it could get. And I think it'll get much worse. And the interesting thing is, to your point, Dr. Paul, you know, all of these years of trying to, quote unquote, correct the market, uh, the free market to, you know, make it right when it moved in a direction that wasn't favorable for the government uh, has now led to a point where the market is making these enormous volatile swings just because of that. So, I mean, the, the, the solution has become worse than the problem ever once was. What I want to ask you is, you know, over the last 48 hours, we've seen this group of retail traders going in and uh, playing with different stocks and uh, buying up highly shorted stocks and trying to run them up. And the broader stroke of that, though, is uh, I've been reading a lot of what it is that they claim to be railing against. Uh, And, you know, Part of them claim they're railing against uh, hedge funds and short sellers. But what I think is going on here, and I'd love your take on this, and what I think is going on uh, civilly in the country over the last year or so is I think that we're starting to see some unintended consequences of the bifurcation of wealth in the nation created by the central bank. So in other words... This past summer, you know, those riots were supposedly about race brought on a more broader sense. They were about inequity and inequality. But I think a lot of that stems from what you were just talking about. Right. Which is the this redistribution of purchasing power. And I don't think people understand it, Dr. Paul. What do you think? No, some sort of understand it superficially, but they don't know how it comes about. But I think that is one of the important issues, might be the most important uh, for social order, because the anger builds. You know, it hasn't been, uh, I'm sure, uh, I don't remember anybody who was an avowed socialist, you know, getting elected to Congress and having allies. Uh, and the other thing that surprises me is, you know, how much coverage they get favorably. <laughs> so something major has, has changed. And I think that is is the big issue. But if you look at look at through history, most major economic and political changes have occurred 
when uh, when the average person, middle-class people and the poor, just rise up because they get poorer and poorer, and that is the sort of the friction. And I, I think that uh, markets are powerful. Uh, like uh, they couldn't maintain the gold standard at Bretton Woods at $35 an ounce, but I don't think they can maintain a social order uh, as long as it's a system that all you have to do is be a smart trader or get involved in manipulation or short this one and get together with somebody else. But that's what government's doing all the time. Everything they right. do <laughs> is, is that. So, uh, you, you know, they say, well, no, it's those guys on Wall Street. They're committing fraud. They, they did this and this and they're deceiving. <laughs> yeah, where'd they learn it? Uh, I think I think people who uh, are really uh, interested in that type of thing get in the government and get in the banking, and uh, that's what they do. So people are just doing what what is happening. You know, you think, well, you know, counterfeiting is a neat idea if I just had the real printing press. But but the Fed does have the real printing press, and counterfeiting that money doesn't solve the problem. One thing they have not even entertained as a possibility that increasing the money supply and artificially and uh, will, will and, and interfering with uh, interest rates. If if you have that, it doesn't add any wealth. Right. What it does, it it probably helps some people. It, right now, it's being sorted out because I think today it showed. Well, a lot of people did buy houses. Interest rates are so low, but now the high price of houses are so high, the housing market could go down. And and uh, and you know, and and of course, under this system, it, it's a game we all play. At least I try to figure out where's the next bubble, where's the next one. But to me, the big bubble is the one that uh, is going to be the most serious, and I think that involves you know the debt market, the bond, the U.S. bond market, as as well as the U.S. Do, you know the dollar market. Market because that that will affect a lot more people right now. Nobody even even with China perking its head up and gathering up dollars by selling us stuff. Uh, I, I don't think the uh, the real challenge is out there. I think you mentioned where the the real uh, concern is, and that's the average person who thinks he's getting ripped off. What happens? What happens if they get is uh, get the inflation that they've been working on, believing in it? Consumer inflation will solve our problems. That's that's crazy, and yet uh, I think there's uh, there's a lot of consumer inflation already. People who uh, you know, especially when they threw in this this whole thing about the uh, coronavirus to add fuel to all this. And sometimes I've thought about it and even suggested that you know it came along at an awful convenient place because now. If you listen to the news, they blame coronavirus for all this. We have to spend money for coronavirus, coronavirus. And uh, people, people are very complacent. Oh, the Fed, that's their job. You know, print faster, get a new printing press. Yeah, I think you make some great points. And Peter Schiff uh, and you really have shaped my views on how printing money uh, doesn't actually generate wealth. It just redistributes the purchasing power that the nation already has. So all you're doing, and I think most people don't understand this, that all you're doing when you print money is you're just subdividing the purchasing power of the country up into smaller bits. And if you print $5 trillion and you direct $4 trillion of that to 
the corporate bond market and the stock market and large corporations that really what you're doing is you're recalibrating the purchasing power that already exists and you're bifurcating the wealth gap even further you're pushing it further to the people that need it the least and you actually were the person that helped me understand this because when we were going through this in 2008 Dr. Paul you said to Ben Bernanke at uh, at a congressional hearing, why don't we just divvy up the money and just give it to the citizens, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't bite on that one, though. <laughs> but, uh, but no, you're, you're right about that. It distorts it, and uh, the people who get the money, especially in the early parts of a monetary inflation, uh, they they get they get it and it, it's a direct redistribution of wealth. Right. But the the others are also involved in this because the money just doesn't sit in the pockets of these very wealthy people. What happens is it does circulate and the purchasing power of the money goes down no matter what they tell you what the CPI is doing. And then who does that affect the most? It affects the middle class and the poor, and then they lose their jobs and they don't have houses. You have more street people, uh, you know, out there. So it's it's a consequence of that, which builds up the anger, which is we're seeing now as a social conflict, a social problem, and uh, that of course uh, uh, is a much greater threat. You know, I don't think. The, the the social problems well there was economic problems in the depression but there wasn't this social conflict uh you know that that we're seeing now and uh this this of course is going going to get much worse because people panic and uh when some of these markets panic and that's what i thought we were seeing today some some of the panics that can occur but they there that's probably mild compared to uh, what happens when people decide they're getting out completely then you have some some item you know uh very very much inflated a thousand times or something and has no real value to it i think then then there'll be this panic when people realize this is not a viable system is trying to get out of it so so the final conclusion uh is i believe very rapid and uh, unfortunately that's when there's civil strife and breakdown and what's what's in the news today and what we did our program on is uh you know the police state and i had tulsi on the program and and she's real good on this issue even warning the de- warning the democrats and all is uh, is the police state so uh and and they, i i think sometimes we think we know what's going on but the authorities probably know very much what's going on and they might even say yeah these guys are these guys are right they're warning about it but we'll prepare for it and uh, that's why we uh, have uh, troops in washington dc and the reason we can't have any at least in my opinion part of the reason we can't have any civil discourse across party lines dr paul which you know is uh necessary and integral for the system to keep running smoothly and for the uh, citizens to feel like they're being represented properly is because when you have somebody like Tulsi Gabbard who stepped forward to, you know, uh, throw her hat in the ring to run for president uh, some time back, she was immediately discredited only because she held some centrist views, some common sense views, some views that are not extremely far left. She was immediately discredited by this Washington machine 
that started calling her, you know, a Russian asset and all these things. I mean, this is a woman who's a veteran, right, Dr. Paul, who served the country. And I want to know, do you think it's possible for people on the right who want to be more towards the center and people on the left that want to be more towards the center or maybe even cross party lines a little bit together? Is it possible for them to even have a voice anymore? yeah, Yeah, I think a lot of people want to do that. But you have to ask the question, why are they coming together? If, if, if the two sides endorse a bigger principle, and I believe they do, both parties endorse interventionism. Both of them, look, uh, Biden is a bigger hawk than the Republicans have been. And, and then there's the, uh, uh, the Federal Reserve and on and on and deficits. They, they all believe that. So it's coming together is just an administrative thing. How are we going to divvy up the loot? And get along better, and uh, I think it should it has to be. I think it has to be a coalition, and I like it. When uh, and and I sense that you probably recognize the benefits of talking to somebody like Tulsi and coming together. But I don't see that as Tulsi selling out, uh, and I'm selling out so that we can come together. It's that uh, who has the right ideas and can you support them. And, uh, and, and, and the big thing is, is are we allowed to talk about it right now? Right. Uh, we're not allowed to talk about it. If you're, if you're a whistleblower, if you're Edward Snowden, you get, you know, you lose your country and you go to prison. And even a person that, uh, isn't a citizen like, uh, uh like Julian Assange, he still, he gets in prison for life too, because, uh, the, the worse the conditions get and the longer this lasts, the more fragile it is. And therefore, the government has to get bigger and more ruthless to hold it together. Freedom freedom is held together by trust and hard work and effort and recognition and have some basic rules. Uh, you, you know, you're not a lot of cheat people and steal and you, you can't kill people. And, and, and there's some of these rules as long as people do that. Nobody has to uh, deal with these kind of problems. But when the, when the uh, uh, economy and the social order gets very disruptive, uh, you can't – the greatest threat to that is somebody telling the truth. That is really a big problem for them because uh, sometimes, you know, truth is very appealing, especially as the conditions get worse. So that's why they have to be they have to be silent. So the whistleblowers uh, don't do well. And uh, there's quite a few whistleblowers who have already been in, in prison. And it's it's a very ruthless. And uh, I have a saying that, uh, tr- you know, it's been used before. Truth. Truth is treason in an empire of lies. You know, if the government's lying to us about everything, you know, uh, and they control all the education, all the uh, all the efforts uh, in communications, uh, then uh, then it's very important that truth be squelched, and that's what they're doing now. They 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 uh, disappear you, they cancel you, and boy, that's scary stuff. On not so much that it happens, but it's scary that how many people go along so quickly. Right, and there are people that 
just want they just want peace and quiet, but they don't realize that they can have to do more than going along with the bosses. And I and nobody knows who the bosses are. Who decides this guy has to be stopped? And and, and the message goes out: don't don't touch this guy. And the businesses there was something, and they listed about ten major businesses that got together, and somebody said the wrong thing, and they came down hard on them. That is really bad news for us, and that that's what we have to answer to. Out of all the people that have been censored over the last two or three months, including at one point the sitting president of the United States, I was the most surprised to see when you were locked out of your own Facebook account because <laughs> I've followed you for more than a decade, Dr. Paul, and I, you have never been disrespectful. You have, I don't, yeah, I've never heard you lose your cool. I've never heard you say anything that's completely crazy. I, you're, you know, you have the most integrity out of, I would say, arguably any living political figure or former political figure, and probably at the, near the top of the list in the country's history. What was that like when you got censored? And do you think, you know, what do you think about that on a more broader sense about them censoring the president as well? Most of the time I, I accept it, and some of my critics might, might say, well, you accept it too easily. You have to come fuming back and attack it. But it, I don't think it does any good. And it, why it doesn't bother me is I think I anticipate it and know what it is and understand it, and I see it as a uh, moral problem rather than a political problem. I see that uh, what you do on your program and what a, a bunch of people are doing more now than ever before, we're talking about basic morality. Uh, and and uh, I, I still come across with the idea that most people are pretty decent, you know. But you see, people would immediately say, no way, why are they going along with this? And uh, Because the really bad people, the one, the one guilt that we should have is allowing these people to go get in the government and become the, uh, the dictators of what we do. But uh, I think the really bad people end up in government, and they love it. Uh, you know, they love the power, and they love the money. And, but but uh, so to me, it's an ideological problem. That's why I have spoken out very favorably about, about the work that the Mises Institute does and why that's when – you, when you end up understanding the market, it's a moral issue. You know, you, you allow people to do what they want, you know, and spend the money the way they want. When I talked to the college campuses during the campaign, that was one of the things that got the loudest applause. They weren't demand. They never once brought up the subject. I, mean, I know there were plenty who believed in it, is uh, the issue of student loans, because they already knew what I would do. I wasn't for them, and, and uh, you're not going to get bailed out. We shouldn't have programs like that. But it, it's, it's a moral issue. And uh, you have to change people that nonviolence is a very, very valuable uh, trait. And if you want to live in a better world, uh, which is more peaceful and more prosperous, you have to accept that one simple principle. And, uh, and yet, uh, and, and I think the one reason why I got their attention, it didn't sound complicated. Right. It really isn't right. complicated. And it sounds good. Especially if you can say, you know, you'll be better off with this. And uh, but 
But, you know, can you think of, uh, you know, whether it's a Republican or Democrat administration, especially this Democrat administration, is there much reassurance that we'll be better off if we had a lot less government? I made the statement, claim and still believe it. If you got rid of 80 percent of the government, especially at the federal level, uh, we'd all be better off. (laughs) (laughs) So that's 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 the the way it should be. But I, I think that. You know, during the founding, I think it was Adams that said, you know, uh, it, it, the only time, the only kind of, the only way you can have a uh, republic, uh, a constitutional republic, is that uh, you have to have a moral people. Uh, you, they have to have decency because if if you had just criminals, it's not going to work very well. You know, and. Uh, and and but 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 that's an issue that comes up differently, and that's a big problem. And and people have done studies that takes it out of the realm of of uh, economics, and that has to do with families, with family breakdowns, and and uh, you know kids uh, with one parent or no parent and no guidance. And uh, you know there there was a time when America was praised because of their freedoms, but it was also, you know, a religious society that taught uh, not only good manners, uh, but good ethics, too. Yeah, Dr. Paul, I want to uh, turn your attention, uh, you know, we're talking about the the founding of the country, and we're talking about the Constitution, and I want to kind of get your take on uh, the election here of late I saw and I know you always tell me you know my son and I were two different people we have two different sets of thoughts and I know that but I do want to say I, I did just see Randon with uh, George Stephanopoulos I think uh, a week ago and he was trying to uh, communicate with George I think in somewhat of a nuanced manner as to what his concerns were as a constitutionalist surrounding uh, the the election that just occurred. And I'd be interested to hear your take uh, if you have any questions or issues about the election or if you're uh, okay with it in general. Well, no, I don't have much uh, confidence about the elections. In some ways, you could have you know, a true... Uh, you know, republic, you'd have them be, but they'd be for local elections and things, things like that. But uh, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I, I wanted to speak out in the early 70s after Bretton Woods broke down. So I filed for office and ran without a, a desire nor an expectation of any, anything other than getting a few things off my, off my chest. <laughs> and, and, but 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 it was it was it was different than I expected. So there was somebody that wanted I wanted to uh, listen. So um, the the election itself, uh, one of the I, I won a special election in '76, and uh, and then then I lost about eight months later. We had to have a regular election, ran against the same guy, and I lost by like I think at the night of the closing of the can of uh, the. Uh, polls, I was like 98 uh, votes behind. And uh, then uh, we didn't know too much about security, and uh, we didn't have really a, a lot of uh, poll watchers and things like that. And and then uh, uh, we had a count, and we, we had ways. We had some people helping us uh, in an election count, and uh, we found 1,350 some people that didn't exist that voted for my opponent. And uh, 
so so we found a case, and I won the case in the courts. All I think it went to three levels at the state level, and I won. It went to the Supreme Court, and I won. And uh, for oh, it was like victory wherever. There's decent people in the courts. The next day, uh, they filed what is called a, manda- a, a mandamus, which is literally able to fire the judge right in the middle of the case, uh, you know, for extreme behavior and things like that. But they got rid of the judge the next day, and they had a new vote in the Supreme Court of Texas, and they voted against me, and that was the end of it all. So I, was, I had an early introduction to what was happening. I knew about the Johnson Johnson election, uh, in, you know, uh, how he got into the Senate. So it's been there for a long time, and even in our history, it even goes back further than that. So that is secondary. I do it because it gives me a chance to reach people. If I had never run for Congress, we wouldn't be having this conversation here. Uh, so it... Uh, it was it was a vehicle for me. So the 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 six the so-called successes that people will see. Oh, you were success, successful in doing this and this and this. But I only count the successes if somebody comes up uh, and you've even hinted to it today that you uh, you've convinced me of something. And uh, I had two or three members of Congress actually say it to me too. But I wasn't. I see. That's why it didn't bother me that I never became the chairman of the banking committee because. It, I wouldn't be able to operate under those conditions. I mean, it's sort of like we're going to make you chairman of the Federal Reserve Board tomorrow in their meeting. Some of the uh, business media would ask me, say, what would you do about interest rates tomorrow? What would you send it at? What's the and I said, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't even pretend, you know, because I have no idea. Nobody else has any idea. Uh, the correct rate of interest is set by the market. Anyway, uh, it's it's been the changing people's minds first in a moral sense, and and then next in the in an economic sense of understanding why morality and economics can go a long way into making a prosperous and happy society. And uh, so I just look at the numbers, and I think there's a lot of people out there that. Uh, you know, are, are decent. Uh, the indecency is the government, and they run everything. That's what has to be stopped. I mean, the educational system, the medical system. Look at the mess with coronavirus. Uh, there would be a virus uh, in a free society, but believe me, it would be handled a lot differently. We wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been $6 trillion to uh, redistribute to some wealthy uh, uh, drug companies. You know, it's, it's just a terrible system. So that's why I keep voting the way I do, or voting or preaching. Yeah, and that's my last question for you. Where do you, What do you think about where we're at in terms of our country? Uh, you know, there's parts of the country that are considering new lockdowns now. After all we've endured, after all we've gone through, after all we've learned, we're coming out of the winter, we have a vaccine in hand. Uh, you know, we've seen the politicians saying one thing and doing the other thing, going out to dinner and getting their hair done and everything else. Uh, what do you think about where we stand right now and how we're dealing with this? Is it, is it an overreaction or are we doing the right thing? Uh, yeah, it's always an overreaction. But I think <laughs> I think they've exhausted themselves on coronavirus. I think more and more people are going to get sick and tired of the people say that we have to uh, wear, wear these masks. So, uh, and I think that, that uh, that'll be good. It'll be helpful. And, 
where people will go to work and 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 but it won't it won't be the answer because uh, they've already had their next opponent and that is domestic terrorism and that's why they have troops in in Washington so they have to always always have an enemy and they're always able to find it and then if they need to they'll find another virus they'll find something so it's the philosophy of government intervention that is so evil uh, that uh, no matter what happens uh, you have to have the government involved but then you have the exaggeration uh, and then the people that get there have no respect or understanding of civil liberties and the unfortunately the real victims might not be bad people but they might be too complacent too long you know then it gets more difficult but I think it's uh, I think it's an opportunity uh, uh, for us to present our viewpoints, but but we need a lot more people. There's no doubt. But we don't. Uh, you don't have to have 51 percent of the people. We need the people who led our revolution. They said there were about seven or eight uh, percent of of the people then that were all for breaking away from England. They uh, but they uh, they. Uh, you know, uh, were uh, dedicated and principled. I, I, when I go back and read what the founders knew and what they studied in the books they read, I'm really impressed. And uh, that's that's why they did make a good stab at it. But then they came up with a document that was uh, destined to have some uh, weak spots in it, and we're suffering the consequences from that. But ultimately, the weak spot has been the uh, decrease in morality of a certain percentage of people who who justify going to the government and believing that they know what's best for us in everything that we do. Yeah, and it's wild to hear you talk about, uh, you know, painting domestic terrorists with this broad brush because it feels like yesterday that I was railing against the Patriot Act and in fact it brought back a memory because when you when you were running for president I had this big sign and I would stand in the middle of a town where I went to college in Westchester and it said Ron Paul it said a real patriot not just a patriot act underneath it (laughs) (laughs) and that's how I think of you Dr. Paul listen I saw you on Kitco a couple of days ago it's great to see you live again in person you look healthy you look like you're feeling great which is wonderful i heard you tell david that you're feeling great which i know we're all happy about i want to thank you so much for taking a half hour out of your day today dr paul i i certainly love you my listeners love hearing from you and uh i just want to let you know how much we genuinely appreciate it okay chris it was great being with you talk to you later all right bye-bye that was the one the only dr ron paul As I said earlier, the godfather of the Libertarian Party. And uh, the guy that showed me that you can have a fucking brain and be a politician is basically how I would describe him. Ah, I knew I said I wasn't going to curse this episode, but he's off. He's off the air, and hopefully he doesn't listen to the end. But he was really the first politician that, when I did my research on him, he voted per his record without any, there were no ifs, ands, or buts. He, vote, he was a constitutionalist. He voted according to the Constitution. Whether that put him in line with his party or not, he did it. Married to the same woman for, I don't know, decades, 40 years, 50 years. Man of faith, a doctor, served the country as a veteran. Uh, it's no wonder the people of Texas just continued to elect him and reelect him. And I think, uh, I think our country not only owes him a debt of gratitude, but we need more people like Dr. Paul in government now more than ever. All right, I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I have a couple of more podcasts coming up 
in the uh, next couple of days. Again, I want to thank my patrons for continuing to support the podcast. I'm getting a lot of love from you guys, and I want to let you know I'm sending it back. I appreciate you guys very much, especially when things get hairy like they've been here over the last uh, year or so. So, all right, fools, I'm out of here. Peace.